Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello, friends. It's constructionist time. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Caleb. And we've been going through, uh, well, we've started. This is number two of our perusal of the book of Philippians. And the reason why we're going through the book of Philippians is because ultimately, if you look at the background of the book, it's a book that Paul wrote from a dreary, dark, dank, cold, smelly prison. And yet, many who commentate on the book call it a book filled with joy and that that was Paul's primary idea that he wanted to get across in the book. Joy coming out of a dank, dark, smelly, cold prison where he's chained and hungry and it's not a nice place. So what is this contrast now between the idea of Paul being stuck there in that Roman prison and yet out of him exudes great joy. There's definitely something there that we need to consider because honestly in our own life, I mean, how many of you are listening to this podcast right now sitting in a dank, dark, cold, smelly prison with no light chained up, okay? It's not something that I don't think any of... (laughs) any of you are actually experiencing right now, and probably most of you have never actually been in that kind of situation. Now, having said that, we've all had things happen to us that we didn't want to have happen to us. Maybe someone died, maybe you are uh, suffering from an illness or a friend is. Everyone's had bad things happen to them. You've lost some money, you've been poor, you've been fired, you've been um, maybe divorced or something, gone through a terrible relationship, something like that. I'm not going to belittle any of that. I'm not mocking any of that. It's just life. It's the way things go. People go through hard times. Now, the question is, is how do you respond to those hard times? Like I said, Paul in his dank, dark, cold, smelly, chained up prison was was putting out joy and encouraging joy in the life of other believers. So we went through verses 1 through 7 last time, and now we're going to be going through uh, a few more verses, just giving us some thoughts, some things to consider and think about in regard to our own life and what Paul is trying to live out in his faith, even though he's in a terrible place. Okay, So we ended up with verse 7 last time, where Paul says, even as it is... Uh, Sorry, I'm reading the King James. I'll read the English Standard. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he makes a reference in verse, uh, is it this verse? Uh, Uh, He talks about my chains, he says. I can't remember where I read that. It's a verse or two up. Uh, He talks about my chains and that he's writing from this place of being chained up in prison. So now in verse 8, he says, "For for God is my witness, 
how I long after you with the affection of Jesus Christ, or with Christ Jesus, sorry. Depending on which translation you read. So he's saying that he has a great affection for the people of Philippi. And Paul was there. Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. Now he's in a Roman prison, but there he was in prison in Philippi. He's writing to people who probably knew him when he was first in Philippi. So these are kind of his friends. I mean, part of this letter, we get later to chapter four of the book of Philippians, and part of the letter is that he's thanking them for a gift that they sent him, a financial gift. When you're in a Roman prison, uh, they don't feed you there. They just slap you in there to await trial, and however long that takes, that's where you're at. And so they're not after your comfort. They don't give you a bed to sleep in. You don't have a TV to watch. There's not activities to do in the afternoon, things like that. You're just there. And so they, had, they sent him a gift because they knew he was in prison. And so Paul has this great love and affection for them, not because they sent him a gift, but because there's this mutual um, care that was taking place, which should be taking place among all believers, really. And so Paul is, has an affection toward them. But the words here are marvelous. In the King James, he says, I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. The bowels of Jesus Christ? I mean, what kind of wording is this? The actual Greek word is splachnon, is what he's saying. And it means bowels. It's, you know, that bit inside of you that moves sometimes. Um, but it's implying like a deep... See, in the ancient world, we don't do this nowadays. We do a little bit when we talk about, you know, my heart yearns for you, or I love you with all my heart. We have that phrase. But in the ancient world, there were other body parts that had different uh, emotional imagery attached to them. So in the Old Testament, quite often, if you read... Uh, I think the King James, it'll use the word kidneys uh, to talk about a kind of an emotional response to something. So in the Jewish mind, your kidneys were a part of your uh, emotional makeup. Here, Paul's talking about the bowels as part of his deep affection toward somebody else. And he actually says the bowels of Jesus Christ. And so the when when modern people today talk about the interrelation between the body and the soul and that our emotions and our physical state are interlinked, there's actually, that is an idea that goes back through the whole of human history because we recognize that that, uh, when something exterior happens, something on the interior responds, if you know what I mean. So I'm sure you've all been in situations where suddenly you hear news that you weren't expecting to hear and like all of a sudden your heart rate goes up and you just just sort of shrink on the inside or, or whatever. You know, your body is reacting to the external world around you in some way or another. And so Paul is here saying, I long after you all in ultimately in the deepest affection of my inner being is kind of what he's saying, the bowels of Jesus Christ. And so I guess I could ask the question and I need to ask it to myself as well. Uh, where are we on this <laughs> bowel scale? I can put it that way. Where, where do we, is, is there, uh, do we have this love toward other believers? that Paul has from the deepest, you know, this deep desire, this love, this affection toward fellow believers. You know, when we're told to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself, you know, our nearest neighbor, 
whether our spies, our spice, our spouse, our children, uh, people who we fellowship with at church, these should be like, I guess, prior, priority on the list. And then after that, we can work out other, other priorities in it. Uh, but in Paul's case, he had a very strong and deep connection with this church and had a very strong and deep love for them. Verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. That's the King James. In the English Standard Version, it says, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So this is a big subject to talk about now. Paul is praying for their love to abound. Now, it's worth going through Paul's writings and looking at the things he prays for and what he prays in that prayer. Because it, it will inform us as to how we should pray and how and where our prayers should be directed. Paul prayed very deep prayers. <laughs> he prayed them constantly, it would appear. He was always in a state or a mindset or an attitude of being ready to pray or being prayerful, I, should, I could say as well. And so here he tells us what he's praying for the Philippians. I pray that your love may abound. Now that's a beautiful thing to pray. People talk about love all the time nowadays. You can just type into uh, your search engine and put in uh, quotes about love and you'll get hundreds. And I've done this a couple different times, hundreds of different quotes where people are saying love is this and love is that and here's a definition of love and all that kind of thing. Now, the problem we have in our English language is that the word love is really confused with the word like or with the word prefer, okay? So I was listening to this guy the other day. He was a comedian, and he was talking about how he literally said in one single breath, I love my wife, I love chocolate. No, but you, I mean, uh, okay, so I don't remember if it was chocolate. He was talking about food. I love my wife, I love refreshments, I think he said. So <laughs> he was talking about food. But he was putting the word love directed toward his wife and the word love directed toward food. Now, you can't tell me that if you sit down with this guy over a cup of coffee and say, do you love your wife in the same way that you love that cup of coffee in front of you, that refreshment in front of you? He would look at you and go, no, of course not. So, but we use the same word, meaning two separate things. And, you know, I had a friend of mine years ago and he would say one of the problems in, uh, relationship is that, especially, I mean, new relationship, like when you're just getting to know somebody, is that the word love and the word lust both say the same thing. Love will say, I love you, and lust will also say, I love you, <laughs> okay? So he did, he had that sort of approach to this idea of relationship and, and what really love is about. Because lust will lie and say love when it actually means just lust, which is a negative, a bad thing <laughs> for the most part. Um, in a lot of ways. So when we talk about love, we need to define what love is. So Paul wants their love to abound more and more, but he qualifies that love by saying he wants it to abound in knowledge and in all discernment. Okay, so it's not just this willy-nilly sort of, I love chocolate cake and I think more, you know, more is better. If a little is good, a lot must be fantastic, you know. That's not operating <laughs> in knowledge in all discernment. Because think about it, if all you ate was chocolate cake, 
then you'd eventually like bloat up, get diabetes and die. That's just the way it is. So you can't use that word love in that way. I love chocolate cake. You have to have knowledge and discernment. So you have to know that chocolate cake is not uh, a well-rounded diet. And you have to discern that if you eat too much of it, you're going to collapse into a heap of unhealthiness. So let's apply this out to a broader scope. When we talk about relationships or when we talk about, uh, you know, ultimately we're to love our neighbor, okay? So we love God and we love our neighbor. And Paul wants our love to abound. Now in, in Greek, there's four different words that can be translated love, okay? There's a, a love that is a lust, porneo, where we get the word pornography from. Uh, that is a lustful love, uh, which was what I was saying before about loving chocolate. You may be lusting after it or something like that. Uh, or, you know, some some idiot kid who tells some girl that he loves her, but actually he just wants to jump into bed with her. You know, that it's a porneo love. He's not loving her in, the, in a godly sense. He's loving her to get something back out of it. I mean, this is bad, but I'm using that as a real-life example. Uh, then you got the phileo love, and the phileo love is like the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's a friendship it, it could be a very deep friendship, but it's a friendship love. And then you have the word uh, sturge, I think, is the other word. I can't quite remember what that one uh, goes to. It's not used very common in the Bible, if at all. Um, but then the most important word, which is the one that we're after here, is agape. And that's a love where you so love the other person that you will sacrifice and potentially die for that person. All right, so that's sort of the highest form of love. It's It's often described as an analogy as the kind of love that a mother would have for her child, you know. It's like, I will die for this child to protect it from anything that comes its way, you know. And you feel the pain or the happiness that the child is feeling because of that connection there. So that's like the greatest height of love. And this is where, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's a love that Jesus came out of obedience to the Father and he walked to the cross and he went through the pain and the suffering and the death of the cross because of a love that he had both for his Father and for the whole of the human race because he's the creator and he loves what he created. So in light of all of that, we have to recognize that Paul is praying that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So knowledge in Greek, gnosis, where you know, we often use the word Gnosticism or Gnostic, um, but the word knowledge, it means knowledge. This word is epignosis. So it is a kind of, epi, you know, like, the, uh, so if there's an earthquake somewhere, they talk about the epicenter. So the epicenter is the, the, the point where the earthquake happened, but it spread out. So the epi means all around. So the earthquake, the epicenter is, the, is that which is in the middle of all that's around it, okay? Uh, so epinosis is a knowledge that you have all, but all the other knowledge, you need to have other knowledge around it, all right? And so if you have knowledge of something, you need to be aware of all the other knowledge around it. Now, uh, I have a degree and I'm working on a master's, and so the level of, of academic writing I have to do at a master's level is more than at a degree level. At a master's level, you have to have a deeper or broader or more rounded understanding of your subject, and you have to be able to explain that in the process of writing your essay. So you can't just relay facts. 
you have to relay facts and then give um, an analysis of those facts and possibly even a solution to a problem or a suggestion of further study or this could this could speak to this discipline or that discipline or the other thing. So that's what that's a that's a greater step uh, of understanding than or of knowledge than just saying, oh yeah, uh, you know this equals that or something like that. Okay, I'm not just regurgitating information. So this is where we're after. We need to have knowledge and discernment in our love. So notice he doesn't talk about feelings. <laughs> it's in many ways. Love is not about feelings. This is where we lose it quite often because old school thinking about things like marriage was on a very practical level. Marriages were arranged for uh, family business purposes, for political reasons, uh, for um, the, the stability of society and children, things like that. Uh, about, you know, there, it was almost like marriage was uh, a societal requirement for the strength of the whole of society and how your part plays in it. Whereas nowadays, we tend to talk about marriage as just sort of a lovey-dovey, I want to be with that person and this is great and aren't we having a great time because we both like the same films and we both enjoy the same, um, you know, whatever. And so... Uh, we just hang out and we're great and everything is fantastic. And then two or three or four years later, reality hits and we realize that, you know, there's stuff we have to walk through and we disagree on this and we disagree on that and then we can't get along with each other and then before you know it, we get a divorce. And it's a sad state because it was all based on feelings to begin with. So Paul in this statement is talking about an abounding of love, but feelings almost have absolutely nothing to do with it. Okay, so there are some feelings there because he was talking about the deep desire of his splachnong, you know, his bowels in the previous verse. And so he has a feeling toward these people, but it's based not on the feeling in and of itself. It's based on the abounding of love that is informed by all knowledge <laughs> and discernment, okay? So it means that Paul is actually thinking through and praying through and processing through a love that he has for this church. And we need to do the same thing when it comes to whatever the situation is. Are we doing this because of an emotional response um, or are we doing this because we're being manipulated or is it? are we doing this because... Uh, we just feel bad for that person, and so we want to do this thing, even though it's really not expedient to do it right now, or whatever the situation is. So you can insert your own life setting into this passage. So it's, it's what Paul really is praying for these people, and it's something that we need to be aware of ourselves in our own prayer life. We should pray for our spouses and our children and our, our fellow church people, uh, we should pray that their love would abound more and more in wisdom, uh, sorry, in all knowledge and, abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, sorry. That should be something that we should pray for other people. And I would encourage you to take this passage and to get a hold of it and then also go and read uh, Ephesians, particularly chapter 1. And read chapter 1, and Paul in that talks about his prayer for the Ephesians. And start to get your head around the things that Paul prays for other people. So Paul is sitting there in his prison, 
and he's talking about his, his prayer of wanting their love to abound, okay? So even though it's dark and dank and smelly and uh, he's hungry and he's chained to the wall, it is a time where he can spend in prayer. And then when Paul was actually in Philippi, in prison in Philippi, him and Silas were in there singing hymns. And so we find this quite quite surprising that they are in there singing hymns to the Lord. And as a result, there was an earthquake and the doors all opened and the guard got saved. And it was this sort of kind of triumphant moment uh, in Paul's ministry there going into Philippi. And so these people probably, re- some of these people may even remember like that jailer, the jailer who became a believer because Paul didn't run away and led him to the Lord. He could very well be receiving this letter and going, oh, you know, yeah, this, this is just Paul because that's the way he was while he was in prison here in Philippi. The Lord Jesus was so working through him that he completely ignored the circumstances around him because he was motivated by love and he was motivated to pray for other believers and he was motivated to put God's uh, mind above his own mind and how is God going to work through this situation. So uh, I hope you're encouraged. Uh, I hope this challenges you in your prayer life. I hope that you are able to now look at the world around you and consider and be informed by how we are to love. Our love should be defined and regulated by the scriptures. And so uh, do some research on love. How did Jesus love? How did Paul love? Uh, how are these things to be worked out in our day-to-day life with knowledge and all discernment? And uh, in doing that, I think you'll be blessed. So God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.